Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Daily Roto Going for the Green Daily Fantasy Golf Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I'm joined, as always, by Colin Drew. We have a, uh, a special guest here on the show, a Daily Roto subscriber, a, uh, a, former, a former online poker crusher, uh, not, not a winner of the Millionaire Maker, though. Very important to remember, only a second place in the PGA Millionaire Maker, our buddy Jason uh, Lavelli, Lavelli. What, what, what hit me? I don't know. Uh, that's that's good enough, I think. And thanks for okay. bringing that up too. I'm not salty about that <laughs> at all. Yeah. So we uh, we brought Jason on because uh, you know we need we need a crusher. We need a crusher on the show. Although I don't think that anyone can rival the numbers that I have sitting in my accounts on Bryson DeChambeau. If Bryson if Bryson wins this, we are uh, we're going we're going to get Applebee's takeout at least. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm pumped to have Jason on here. Um, if you guys, he goes on Twitter, Constant Color Up, and Sasonius on DraftKings and FanDuel. So if you guys have seen him up there, that's the name. And uh, I was curious just what kind of got you into DFS. I know a PGA, obviously a big one, NFL a big one as well. But was the poker background what got you into DFS? And what do you feel like are kind of your strongest sports? Uh, well, at first, actually, uh, DraftKings was uh, illegal to play in Quebec, which is where I live, uh, for the longest time, actually. And, and when that changed, uh, I got interested, but I kind of thought I missed the whole, you know, bubble of yeah. uh, daily fantasy sports. But uh, I was working a lot on just in my spare time on like hockey analytics and stuff. So I started mostly wanting to to, to get in different ways to bet on uh, on hockey. and. At uh, one point, I was just bored going through like all the Sloan Analytics Conference stuff, and I stumbled upon uh, a golf uh, panel, and I was just curious, and they were talking a lot about how it was similar to hockey and how uh, there hadn't been a lot of progress made in terms of analytics in golf outside of just basic shots gain stuff, uh, despite having like a, a pretty big data set to work with. So I was just instantly hooked. Uh, it's one of those things where you just go down the rabbit hole and you start working on some stuff and you find different ways. Like that's the fun thing about golf is there's so many different ways to bet on it, uh, DFS being in that bubble. Um, so I kind of just started with golf specifically. So I would say golf definitely my strongest uh, NFL second and I probably just donated everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We've all got our donation leaks a little bit. Um, and yeah, it's kind of crazy. The DFS golf has definitely changed over the years as well. I mean, like two or three years ago, you were getting guys that would be massively owned just off of either course history or what they did like the previous two events. And it feels like that has shifted a little bit out of the game. And so it's definitely something that um, I feel like is always constantly evolving. Are you doing a lot of your own modeling? Or are you leaning a lot on modeling, whether it's the stuff that data golf provides us, betting market stuff? Like how do you kind of go about the process of trying to identify the best plays or whatever on the slate? Uh, I actually stumbled upon, like, that's actually how I found Daily Roto was through their association with uh, Data Golf. Uh, when you start doing a little bit of research into 
Golf Analytics, uh, it's one of the first names that pops up. So uh, I was early subscriber to Data Golf before Daily Roto, and uh, I used that a little bit as my baseline in terms of my model being a similar concept. You know, the the both the long term and short term fits. It's just that my model incorporates a little bit more, uh, I guess, a different different approach and methodology to course fit and also to recent form. Uh, so there's a little bit more manual adjusting also that goes on in there because if you yeah. don't, golf is such a weird game with, you know, some guys that won't play for three months, play on different tours, getting access to that data. How relevant is it? There's this. It, it, it's it's definitely interesting to try to make manual adjustments to it and know how noisy or how accurate those adjustments are. Yeah, definitely. It should be really interesting this week as well, or I guess next week because we're doing this preview early, but obviously the Masters is the most popular tournament to bet on across the world. And um, I think a lot of people have these vivid memories of what Augusta is, have the whole setup and everything, but playing the event in November, I think will will change things a little bit um, visually for sure, but it could potentially change how the course plays if the temperatures are, you know, obviously different point in the season as well. So um, Davis, let's get into Augusta National from a course overview perspective. Yeah. So obviously they play the masters at the same course every single year. It's a par 72, 7,475 yards long. Pretty much every year, what we end up seeing is you got to gain a lot of strokes off the tee, and you can't you like horrible putters have a tough time here because the uh, the greens are you know shaved so close. I, I'm actually wondering though, do we think we see any difference in the uh, strokes gained buckets and where stuff over indexes because it's taking place in November, right? We I, I think it would be somewhat rational to assume that the course would play a little bit different based on, you know, the way I, I, I don't know, there's so many different variables from playing it at a different time of year. I'm wondering if that's something to think about. Yeah. The, the first thing I thought about was when they moved the players and you had seen the players being um, like a tee to green course before, but it was one that shorter players could contend at. And then when they moved that up in the schedule from May towards March, it ended up being a course that some of the longer players ended up doing a little bit better on. So Strokes gained off the tee became a little bit more heavy. Um, strokes gained approach kind of dialed back a tiny bit. And who knows if that was just like a one-year sample, but I guess that was the first time I was thinking about an event that really shifted seasons like that. And um, it does look like it's going to be wet next week as well. And so I'm thinking that it's going to play even longer this year than it does before. Um, for some guys, that might turn like two-shot par fives into three-shot par fives. But um, for guys like Bryson, I, I still feel like there's going to be a massive advantage. I don't know, Jason, if you thought about course fit and for Augusta in general, but then if you're changing your approach this year, given the seasonality. Uh, I'm also curious to, like, I tried to find some media coverage on what sort of adjustments they plan on doing. Uh, I saw some guys talk about it potentially playing a bit shorter than last year. Uh, I, I was just curious where they were going to go with the Masters, assuming that this would have been uh, you know, every decade they seem to be changing how long it plays and, you know, we're in 2020. So I was just curious, like if it was actually when it was supposed to happen, if they would actually made it longer. Uh, but this year so far, what I've read is that it's going to be the same distance as last year. So like essentially the last, same as the last 10 years. Uh, but definitely if it does play wet, it's going to play longer. Uh, I, I think sometimes the distance, uh, if you look at data golf, that you'll see that driving distance does over index here but at the same time I think it is a little bit blown out of proportion I think shorter hitters here have had decent success 
Um, so, you know, when you bring all the top guys in the world that play an event, a lot of guys are in play, regardless of how long they are off the tee. But I'm still curious to see how, how Bryson decides to, to attack this course for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I put yeah, together they, they got a Bryson proof it, right? They, they tiger proofed it and now they got a Bryson proof it. They got to, they got to start putting water in the middle at like three forty uh, <laughs> to get him to, to stop him from being able to drive every green. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible. I'd put together regressions too, just kind of using like the strokes gain info as a leading indicator. And it definitely was off the tee that popped heavily with approach being the second one. I do think, I mean, putting obviously matters for the winner. Regardless, you're going to have to gain a bunch of strokes putting on any given course, any given year. Um, but you have seen bad putters contend as well. So I don't think, you know, yeah. putting is something I'm going to consider. But I'm, I'm, you see, like, the Paul Casey type players do well here, too, even if they aren't necessarily holding the trophy at the end. I, I think Paul Casey is a great example. And surprisingly, spoiler alert, he's one of the guys I'm actually pretty high on. I think I'll be high on him versus market. Uh, even when ownership settles, just by virtue of there are some bad putters in the field that aren't necessarily bad at three putting. And I think at Augusta, that's one of the things like I'll never look at three putt avoidance. It's not something that at all back tests with any form of, of uh, accuracy, but it's just one thing at Augusta specifically, if you can limit the damage at three putting, I think it was uh, in my notes here, I had 38% uh, over tour average on three putts. Uh, it's just something where if you're leaking a lot on the greens and, and that cut line is, is coming up pretty fast at the, the, the 15 ties and being 10 off the lead, it's, you, you can't just be dumping it in the first two days. You know, you got to make it through and you got to score on the par fives. Yeah. I definitely yeah. think that's true. Um, as as someone who backed Xander and watched him uh, par 13 and 15 on Sunday, Last year, I can uh, I can definitely attest to needing needing to be. I mean, if you're not able to get what probably four eagles on those two holes on you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like it's just it's very hard to come to a winning position. We got to talk about course history though, because this is this is a a course where if you have done well over a, a not even a good sample, but like a couple different events, even in the markets, like even in the betting markets, not just in DK salary guys get way juicier relative to what their actual odds should be guys like Spieth and guys like Mickelson who are just not good golfers anymore. Like Spieth is a, what, I don't know, maybe the 75th best golfer on tour right now. And Mickelson is probably like outside the top 100, but those guys are getting juice in the market and like you actually have to pay for them on DraftKings. So I, I mean, the market at least believes that course history is very real here. Well, I would say even data golf who I would I would say they're generally a course history hater if you were to put them into like one bucket, but they view it differently at different courses. And they, they do also agree in their work that Augusta national has the most predictive course history of any course on the PGA tour. So I think there is something to that. And therefore there's probably something to the, you know, first time at Augusta narratives as well. But like you said, it's just a question of whether or not it's priced in. And there definitely is course history priced in heavily to the betting markets, betting markets directly priced into to DK and FanDuel prices. So um, I feel like, yeah, it for sure matters. Um, I don't know if it matters as much as it's priced in or not. And that's where it kind of gets into the player evaluation. I guess the other interesting note I found was that the closest comp course they had from a um, was actually Harding Park. So if you look at the similarity scores between course fit at Augusta National Harding Park was one of the ones that was up there along with Torrey Pines. And so 
perhaps some similarities to major championship leaderboards that we've already seen this year. Yeah. Do you have any specific thoughts on, on course fit, Jason? I, I think that what Colin mentioned about how data golf's looked at it is, is accurate. I think it's one of the things, like you said, also the markets do have a tendency to over adjust. Uh, that's where you would wish that there were two way markets uh, in America where you could actually bet uh, you know, you could short guys like Phil at, I don't know what price he's at. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I'm assuming it's something completely ridiculous. You, you can actually on a points bet. Now you can short players a little bit. You just got to take the, the spread. So it's like a new betting concept where you can bet them over under their finishing position and you get like rewarded based on the degree to which they succeed or miss. So things can add up pretty fast <laughs> if the guy ends up like T fiving when you're short him. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that'll be pretty interesting. Do you believe in any of the first time at the Masters narratives? There are some big names who are, are in the field for the first time this year. Scotty Scheffler, Colin Morikawa, Sanjay M, Matthew Wolf, Cameron Champ, Abraham Answer. Among the guys that I think are reasonably in play most weeks on the PGA Tour that will be playing for the first time, is there any hesitation in rostering those guys? Or um... I, I'm always curious to see how the market sees it, especially like in terms of DFS ownership, because – you know, for me that those new guys that are on tour are so much ready, like they, they were so much more ready to win now. So it happened a lot faster, that transition between them being competitive at a college level and them adjusting that skill set to the tour. So I, I think it just, there's a bit of a lag there where that perception of like, oh, it's the first time playing the Masters, a lot of pressure, a young guy. I do think there's a little bit of that that's true, but at the same time, the the crop of new talent on tour is just so so, so much. It, it's adjusting so much faster to uh, to pressure high pressure situations. Like you look at Morikawa already already winning uh, a major, and and Scheffler just you know making making me have to adjust him downwards because he's popping so much everywhere. <laughs> Uh, no, those guys are talented and I'm not really concerned about the one-time thing. But then again, if the market isn't concerned either, then I won't see a huge edge either way. Yeah, I think that seems reasonable. I mean, I guess my perspective on it is I don't, I don't give a shit. Like if, if a guy I really like, like a guy I think is mispriced or a guy I think has better win equity than the market is considering, I'm not going to factor in this being his first time there in terms of, you know, betting on him in, outright market and head-to-heads and in playing him on DraftKings, obviously because it, and also the stat that everyone quotes is the winner thing it's it's some guy named yeah. fuzzy fuzzy zeller fuzzy zeller yeah fuzzy zeller so <laughs> so they only talk about the wins right it's not they're not like adjusting for like t5s over expectation or like beating you know beating t5 odds it's it's literally just a, a like a pithy thing that like someone on espn would say you know like it's not it does it's it's not math based in any way so yeah, the, the I, only I, thing, I don't care the only thing i could see being kind of hard in terms of like morale for someone playing it for the first time is uh with it happening uh in fall they're actually doing split t's this year so if you're starting off on 10 and you have 10 11 12 and it's your first masters and you, like it's it's realistic to get out of those two holes and being two over I could see that being pretty demoralizing for some of those younger guys that are like, you know, shit, I was looking forward to my first Masters, and here I am dumping it three holes in, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and this, I mean, this... if, if I want to get I, – I need to get my hand in the dirt Bill Simmons take out of the way. No fans, <laughs> right? 
So, so is the, is the, the first time pressure with no fans, like it's just going to feel like a practice round for these guys. Like I think it, I do actually think it takes some of the pressure off not having anyone there. That that's something I actually believe. Yeah. That just crushes my, uh, yeah. Split teams will be pretty interesting too. It kind of takes, probably takes like wave splits out of the equation to a degree, just because players will be bunched up a little bit more. Um, it does look like it's going to be rainy. I, I was reading it like the wind would be like a crosswind, which would be interesting as well if it ends up being a lot of weather there. And so um, all of that stuff, it, you know, it definitely is a week where people could overestimate their confidence and how the course will play based on the past. And I always take ownership pretty heavily into equation for DFS regardless. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, let's do it. DK, DK by price range. And let's just, let's just start with the, the man, Beefy Bryson, he is the most expensive golfer by 500 DraftKings dollars, 11.2. We don't have we don't have our ownership projections up. My guess, Colin, is that our ownership projection sits at 24 percent. You take the over or the under there. Oh, I would take the under for sure. I mean, the the pricing usually, especially we're talking Millie Maker for these ownership numbers and the pricing in these large field GPPs usually dictates that people aren't going to pay up all the way to the top even previous years where like Rory was coming in in great form, I think you'd see like 13% or something like that. So if there's enough hype around Bryson with obviously the way he's bombing it, if there's enough talk about like practice rounds and whether or not he's able to carry some of the bunkers and like they're talking about him being able to have driver wedge on holes where other guys are going to be hitting like five irons into just based on the bunker setup. But even if that stuff gets out of proportion in a large field tournament like this, I would think like, 13% 13% expectation maybe gets up to 16%, but probably not getting above 20. Yeah. Um, I, I also would take the under, but one thing I will say is compared to past years at the masters where I feel like I'd look at pricing and balance seem very appealing both to me and the field. I think this year is particularly one where a lot of people when building uh, are, especially through an optimizer are going to end up with one of those first, uh, six guys. I, and, and I think some people force themselves to click Brooks also. So I, I just think it's going to be a lot less balanced. So I think ownership is going to condense a bit more at the top than we've seen in, in past masters. But I still think 25% is a really high number. So, for so what you guys are telling me is lots of people are planning on donating their, their masters week entry fees. By not, by not <laughs> uh, clicking Bryson. I mean, look, this guy is talking about hitting drives 400 yards. Like, come on. He's I just, just want, gonna, I just he's gonna crush see his here. line. I want to see his line on thirteen. On thirteen, is he just gonna try to fly all those trees? He's for sure gonna try, right? Well, he should try it on the practice rounds at least, just to see what happens. Like, I, I think the, it sounds like I guess what the problem would be on thirteen, and if you're not, you know, giant golf nerds like us, thirteen is a dog leg left. The trees are like pretty tall. What would you say, like forty feet tall, probably off to the left there? Yeah, but he cannons it so high in the air that I I, I think it's in play for him. But that, that's one thing I'll say about Bryson is the the course sets up well for him, but it also there are some spots where he can mess up and lose strokes. Where I don't think <laughs> I, I really don't think that JT and and Rom and Rory are going to put themselves in the same situations that he could. And like, there's a few holes that are tree lined that if he's trying to hit this 48 inch driver that he has, it's, it's like, if you lose it, you're, you're taking a drop. 
So, so, so what you're telling me is that in your head, you're, you're like having the vision of when he made the 10, uh, what, of, I don't, I don't remember. St- now stuck, I in don't, fence, stuck in the yeah. fence. Yeah. And he's yeah, arguing with I'm the seeing. rules official. Yeah. I mean, like, look, that's always in play with Bryson. I, I think to me, Bryson has like, I do not think that this is efficiently priced. I think that, I think that I would much rather play Bryson than than JT much rather play him than Rom. It, it looks like from the salaries, what's going to end up happening for me in MME is only playing Bryson and Rory above ten thousand, and not even playing Rory because I think he's he's priced like uh, badly, just purely like FOMO for me. That if if Rory wins a Masters and I don't have a good position on him, um, then I'll just be I'll just be really depressed. Also, Colin, what what sample are we buying from DJ? We have gotten absolutely schizophrenic results from Dustin Johnson since the COVID restart, right? So we have him missing the cut at the 3M, the the 80-80, and then he just, I mean, it's like out of nowhere, he just turned into DJ again, winning the Tour Championship, winning the Northern Trust T6 at the U.S. Open. I mean, if if Dustin Johnson is Dustin Johnson, he's probably the most underpriced guy at 10,000. Yeah, definitely. He's possibly the candidate to receive the highest ownership just because he is in the field this week as a heavy favorite. I think he's like two to one odds better than any other golfer. So he might be like eight to one next best. It's like 16 to one. So if he puts a number on the leaderboard and and does really well, people are going to react to that and see this price as a really good value because the other names up top at least aren't playing this week. So that's one I'm kind of curious to see. Obviously, strokes gain t to green you want to see what that looks like more so than just the end result um, but dj definitely one of the better values and i think the early stuff from our projections is actually going to see john rom as one of the best values on the entire board at 10.5k on DraftKings um, as well a guy that has performed above even his baselines and his baselines have been pretty high in david golf stuff and so he does have positive course history at augusta national as well and yeah i mean bryson for sure, if he won by like four strokes, it wouldn't shock me. It also wouldn't shock me if he took a big number on one of these holes and ends up in like 40th place. Yeah, I mean, you're talking schizophrenic. Uh, Bryson, in the last like eight tournaments he's played, he's lost over five strokes on approach three times. Well, he's not a good approach player. Well, I mean, I mean just... You can <laughs> yeah, get losing bad five here. Like lo- losing 7.1 also, in two. So also, though... Hasn't there been a question about because his drives are going so far that it's maybe counting his strokes gained approach in a weird way? I, I remember that. I remember that being a thing after he won the three or not the three M. He won. He won one of those events at six to one. Yeah, but it was and just re- that they were in the wrong bucket. I think. It yeah. Was yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it, I, I mean, it, it's whether it shows up approach or around the green. It might have been one thing with like one hole on one event, but for the most part, I don't. I don't think the strokes gained is not adequately capturing Bryson. I mean, he's one of the best putters in the field, too. Like, his, his putting upside is immense. Yeah, he, he is, like, the fanciest, fanciest version of Wyndham Clark, who, by the way, had the 80-1 to ticket on Wyndham Clark last week. This dude can't win a playoff hole against Brian Gay. What are we, what are we doing here, Wyndham? This was supposed to be your moment, and you're losing to Brian Gay. It's not, it's, it's not feeling good. So, so, are you guys both team DJ as the best expensive golfer? I, I think that DJ... DJ, when he's in like that top 1% or top 5% form, is the scariest player in the PGA. Uh, I, I really do believe that. Like his standard deviation on every single category, he can just, he can just go nuclear. Like he can just chip in, he can putt, like he can gain 10 strokes putting, 
he can get, gain 12 on approach. He's just he's one of those guys that has a huge ceiling. Like Rom generates and looks well in a model by being incredibly consistent. Uh, the fun thing about Rom is that you can get him on a bad week on his irons and he'll still be able to salvage it with his putter around the green and off the tee game. But if you look like at a guy like JT, you know, if his irons aren't there, he's, it's usually going to be a bad week for him. So that's like the, the thing that's fun about Rom is that he is consistent, but at the same time, that ceiling in terms of like, just, you know, good game, you know, pack it up, you know, this one's done. Then, you know, Bryson and DJ are kind of in their own tier in, in this field. Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Um, I think of this group, JT probably sets up to get the most overlooked. Uh, you have Rory with a little bit of a price discount. He's always respected in the odds markets, and you'll have the obviously career grand slam stuff going on. And then Bryson is going to, or JT is going to project worse than Bryson a lot of places, and worse than Rom a lot of places. So I would imagine off the top of my head that JT is the lowest owned guy above 10k. Yeah, yeah, I think, think that's, that's I think that's yeah, I think that sounds about right. All right, moving on to the next range. Xander 9.8, Kepka 9.7, Cantley 9.6, Morikawa 9.5, and then we get into the names that excite me less, but everyone in DFS is just like falling over themselves to jam in uh Webb Simpson at 9.3. Like I can already I can just already see that happening. Um what do we what do we think happens with Brooks Colin? Do we think that do we think that he carries enough of that major cachet to get you know eight to twelve percent ownership here? Um, man, maybe eight percent, but I think for the most part it's overpriced. He's coming off of the injury and the showing at like Shadow Creek wasn't exceptional. So unless you got some ceiling performance out of him, um, I just don't see it happening. Even with the major cachet, public events maybe a little bit, but. If you move into anything that's like more DFS regs, I, I think he's going to be like 5% or something. Yeah, that's what we think every major. And then he just True. pops up at 14% and you think you're being contrarian and you're just matching the field. Yeah, it's, um, like, it's like Le'Veon Bell uh, last week <laughs> against the Jets. It's like, it's like everyone projects him for like 8% and then he shows up at, at 15% in the Millionaire Maker. Yeah, I, I think him and Matt Fitzpatrick are the two guys that I just get wrong in terms of ownership the most. Uh, but the one thing about uh, about Brooks is I think you're going to see, as you go up stakes in DFS, the biggest divergence pro- possible in terms of ownership. I think you, the higher you get, the lower he's going to be, and you're going to go down in stakes, and you know you might just get you know 80% in a $1 or whatever. So, so does this mean you're going to fade him in the Millie Maker, but you're going to play Brooks in the Thunderdome? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't settled on anything yet. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the I... one the one thing about Brooks is like he's he's looked he hasn't looked great, but if you look at the way that he he's done it in the past, he can show up out of nowhere with crazy performances. Like it's it's not completely out of. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if he won this tournament. Uh, he's gone through periods where he doesn't give uh, you know a shit about golf, so. I don't know. I mean, he's still gaining on approach, which for me is is probably a, a decent indicator of someone being in relatively good form. You know, the putting doesn't really worry me that much because he's he's one of those putters that either gets crazy hot or is just complete, you know, trash or break even. There is no middle ground for him. So um, I, I definitely think that he if he goes under look, I'll definitely be interested in in the Millie Maker as much as I don't like him as a person. So. 
Yeah, and I think the the easy play out of this range, the guy who should be the most popular play out of this range, is going to be Xander Shifley. He's got the second best form in the world, according to the, the data golf stuff. Twenty uh, fifth, second, fifth, second, seventeenth. His last five starts did well at Augusta last year. So um, even though the like the two year course history is nothing exceptional, the second year they got under his belt, he really had a strong finish. Um, and so I think, I think he's going to be, he's the most respected by our model. He's the most respected by the betting market models. And so I do think he's a guy that's a candidate to be the highest on golfer on the slate potentially. Yeah. I actually have him almost at the same exact win EV as, uh, as Rory. So uh, I'm not sure Davis is going to be a fan of that one. So. No, Xander's been one of my dudes forever. He's been, yeah, I, I, I love Rory's Xander. Rory's the original brand though, right? Yeah, Rory is the original brand. But, I mean, Xander has, over the last year, been better than Rory. So, yeah, I, can't, I, can't be, I can't be mad um, about it. I, I think the, the brutal thing this year about the pricing is that, you know, noted data golf favorites, Xander and Cantlay, are just markedly more expensive at every single event. You know, they're, they get respect in the betting markets now. Uh, I, I guess I, I kind of wish that Cantlay had not won uh, his last start. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Data Golf is as big into Cantlay as they were at one point. Well, um, they're ro- they're wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but Xander for sure. The other thing, I mean, Xander, much like Rom, like he does have such a well-rounded game. So you feel like the ceiling's there, but the floor is there too, which is always nice. It's just weird. The the thing that's weird about uh, Xander is that he hasn't put everything together in like one tournament yet. In terms of like, I, I feel like he he'll throw it away at some point and and just kind of punt it off in a situation where you would see Rom or DJ sort of scramble and make a 10 footer and get away with, you know, par or bogey where he seems to have a few more of those blow up situations, but he can gain in chunks in all four categories, which is definitely something when you're, you're talking about a guys that perform well in strong fields. That's usually one of the things I'll look at the most is, is those well-rounded guys, even if they're a bit cheaper and that they don't necessarily gain in chunks, kind of the opposite thinking of, you know, pick one guy that does well in one category. But Xander just hasn't put it all together, but he's he's capable of of gaining a lot in all four, which I like. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And especially it's like a hand-built lineup. That's a good tie break. Um, obviously, if you're just MMEing or putting 150 in, you're doing it off the projections. It's harder to control for that. But I think that's a great way to tie break some of these other guys. Um, I guess the other players in this range, like that could, I mean, Morikawa, so he did win at Harding Park. It was a, a home course for him, so to speak, but it is one of the closest comps. Um, I, I feel like he's a, a bit overpriced here. I'd prefer him down closer to like 8.9 or something like that. Um, Webb is a pretty easy player to fit in with whatever roster construction you're doing. Second man in on a top heavy team or third man in on balance team. So um, like him a little bit as well. Patrick Reed, obviously a master's champion. And then you got Tiger Woods. I feel like Tiger's a guy I just won't end up playing in the Millie this week because I do think he'll be more popular in the in the super public Masters tourneys than he would in more casual stuff. And we just haven't seen a lot of golf from him. And it's expected to play longer. That's not Tiger's strength anymore. Um, but it it feels bad fading Tiger Woods at the Masters. It doesn't feel that bad. Yeah, I would say if I had to rank that range in terms of price – uh, you know, discounting ownership would be uh, for me. Xander is in the you know the first bucket with DJ Rory and Rom, but ignoring Xander, uh, I would say Reed would be my number one. And after that, it's kind of like Cantley Brooks together. 
Okay. All right. So, so I, think, I don't know. I think you're going to have a little more Brooks in the field this week. I can feel it. Uh, I don't know probably. who touted this for me, but I'm looking at my bet slip right now. Someone must have touted Hatton back in February because I'm looking at my <laughs> slip and I have, I have Hatton 150 to one to win the masters oh, in, in my, well, it, you know, I bet it was Feinberg. If I had to guess, I bet it was Feinberg touting masters futures in February. He had to have been, he had to have been the one. So what a uh, sharp. Yeah, whoever whoever touted that to me, thank you very much. I won't be playing any of I yeah, I won't be playing any of him in DFS. I think that this range to me looks like Xander, Cantley, Morikawa, and then I I don't have a ton of interest in Webb or Reed at what I expect their ownership to be. I have no interest in Tiger. Have oh, no interest Bubba? in Bubba. What no. about Bubba? No. No. I mean, I'll say one thing about Bubba. I do not remember the last time I rostered him in DFS, but Looking at his recent form, and in terms of course fit, it's it's obviously pretty good for him. Uh, but looking at his recent form, he's he's actually a pretty scary fade. Like he's he's been playing some really good golf. So I'm I'm also curious uh, to see kind of where that settles in. If it gets really low, I'll I'll be playing some Bubba for sure, just by virtue of the consistency. It's not like one splash. You know, we played some Bubba in the past where he's you know, 7K in a tough field when he's playing like trash for two years. Like he's put. Yeah, together. that's that's when you can play him and feel like a fake sharp though. Like it's so, it like, like then you're like, oh, Bubba, you know, elite, whatever, whatever, T to green, whatever. And you can be like, I got him at 7%. I'm so sharp. And then, you know, he misses 18 consecutive five foot putts and he misses the cut. But it's much harder to do when you are going to have to pay for him. And he's not, it's not going to be like a leverage play unless you get to like, 30% of him like my my guess is he still ends up being relatively popular we'll see yeah we'll see in the popularity we'll obviously have ownership projections up at daily roto next week if you guys want to check out the product you can use the uh, fantasy projections there as well as the optimizer and ownership stuff I mean the, our model with data golf has him ranked right next to Morikawa so they're giving him a lot of respect top 10 form in the field coming into this event and it has been consistent which is not something we usually expect and relative to his personal baseline one of the like guys is trending the most on the pga tour so i think that'll be interesting i think going into the next tier i mean uh hideki matsuyama tony finau were the names that jumped out then you have jason day who i don't think will be very popular always has been popping in my like leverage metrics the past few events always a tough guy to pull the trigger on but and then adam scott i think um any gut reactions in the 8k range yeah that's a jam adam scott adam scott looks like a jam just give me give me my t6 but you like him ahead of hideki and finau yeah, because cause Hideki, he's the most fake sharp play. Like, he's the one that everyone who does a PGA betting segment on their podcast, everyone who, you know, is going to play over $100 of entries at the Masters, they cannot wait to get leverage on Hideki Matsuyama's T14. So I, I, I much prefer Adam Scott. I mean, regardless of how you go about creating – uh, a model or projection system, Hideki's always going to be popping in it uh, yeah. at his prices. And – you know, the concern with him is obviously, like, if I said that I don't like playing guys that are going to be three-putting a lot at Augusta, uh, Decky's always live for a nice three-putt. You know, he really loves those. Uh, and, and in that range in particular, I'm not per- particularly interested in Adam Scott. And that's one of the ones that I manually adjusted because recent form is hard to take into account. Uh, if you just take the last few tournaments and don't do it on, on a, an actual – you know, time basis, it's just difficult. We haven't seen a lot of him, and I don't feel like 
he's had been practicing a lot pre-COVID and we've seen some lackluster stuff from him overall since he's been back. So I, I just don't think he's gotten the work in to be able to get there. I'm not saying he, he can't be live for a T20, but I don't think a T20 at the upper AK range is really what you're looking for. So for me, that's probably going to be a pass if there's a lot of ownership associated to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like Finau a lot. Um, I'm worried he's going to get the buzz because I mean, people love betting Finau and they love rostering Finau. It's a nice price discount, but I definitely just from a raw projection perspective, like Finau um, quite a bit. He actually has one of the strongest course histories at Augusta, even though he's only played two times um, relative to his personal baselines. And um, you obviously had the, the infamous year where you like almost withdrew from the event after rolling his ankle in the part three contest. And, but I, I do like Finau and, I think the other thing that draws me to him is just there's not a lot else is in this range that you feel good about. Like uh, Jason day, I think he's going to be a great leverage play, but you definitely don't feel good about rostering Jason day. And then the other guys here are either. I think I'd rather Ricky, if I was taking a disappointing yeah. <laughs> leverage golfer, I literally think I'd rather take Ricky. Oh, Corey's going to love that part. Yeah. He's going to, yeah. Sure. I, I got to say though, Ricky has been so cheap at these events. It's like they've been begging you to take him. Um, he was very cheap at the Zozo, super cheap at Shadow Creek. And like, I mean, if Fowler is 70 to one in the betting markets and, you know, in the 8Ks, 7Ks for for DK, like, yeah, I'll, I'll take him. What? He sees better than that, I think. You think? Are you sure? You, you like Fowler or Paul Casey? I mean, Casey is better, like, but... Casey might have twice the ownership. I, well, I would might. think. We don't know that yet, but yeah, we we don't know. I I guess if they were at equal ownership, I would much rather Casey. If I'm getting a 50 percent discount on Ricky, I'd rather have Ricky. Yeah, that won't happen. There's no chance that happens. Another yeah. another uh, I guess another question here. So you got Paul Casey, a Harding Park tie there. Scotty Scheffler, another Harding Park tie. Man hitting the click button to put Scotty Scheffler at 7.8 K first time at the masters in your lineup feels really grimy, but he's popping quite a bit in the models. It's impossible for him not to, like I tried docking off so many points in terms of uh, what I was getting in my first runs. And it's just, he's sticking out of the page. It's, it's so absurd. Uh, I'm curious here. I'll just sort it to see uh, where I think I got him like as the 18th best play in the field. Um, It's Patrick. uh, Scotty Scheffler. Oh yeah. Well, Paul Paul Casey, Paul Casey is definitely appealing to me. I I hope that he comes in around 10 to 12%. Uh, He's not a great putter, but he, you know, I don't look into putting splits a lot, but he's one of those guys like for me, like there's two bent grass guys that I'll gravitate towards and it'll be like Paul Casey and Neiman. Just those guys just have the highest splits uh, that they go from being bad putters to like acceptable. So uh, for me, Casey's in play also because he, he'll limit the damage. He's not someone who's going to score a lot, which is the issue with him. But I, I think that if he comes at an ownership discount in that range, that's the problem though, because you have a lot of question marks in that range with, with Ricky, Sergio, Jason day, people might just click Casey cause it feels safer. So I don't know. I'll see how that ends up, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Casey just feels like a guy who you're like, you have no worries about him missing the cut and you're just like, you know, whatever he'll, 
he'll grind out his his T15 or or whatever he has to. So I think that is definitely in play. Uh, noted Daily Roto PGA DFS podcast favorite Matthew Fitzpatrick. Just gonna just gonna end up getting overweight on this guy. Always. Like it's just I can't I can't do anything about it. And look who he's priced next to. I mean he's priced next to Rose, who I'm not all that interested in. Priced next to Mickelson, who I probably won't play at all. Maybe in showdown for Mickelson. Um, Sung Jay, answer Neiman. I mean, I, to me, he seems like clearly better than all those guys. Yeah. Wait, why play Jordan Spieth when you could play the European tour Jordan Spieth for a price discount? At least he's less annoying. Like Fitzpatrick well, annoys Maybe Fitz- not. I don't know. Yeah, but if that's well, imagine criteria, Fitzpatrick and Bryson. the entire field. Imagine Fitzpatrick and Bryson in a, a, a group after Fitzpatrick, like basically said Bryson's ruining golf and he hits the ball too far. I'll say well, one I thing bet, about. I, <laughs> I bet Fitzpatrick <laughs> thinks he's ruining golf. Fitzpatrick is one of those guys that I'm just like, it pains me to roster him. Sometimes I just have to click the button, but you know, there's nothing worse than checking shot tracker and seeing him hit like 165 yard drive on a 530 yard par five to just lay up. It's just the worst thing ever in this day and age to be rostering someone that does that. Like if, if Fitz got to play from the red tees and Bryson played from the tips, (laughs) who would have the further drives. I, I really think, I really think it would still be Bryson, which is incredible. I mean, it's like Fitzpatrick just must be the most like wizard short game and approach game guy on tour, honestly, to compete because he's, he is hitting it off the tee like Jim Furyk. Like that, there's really no other, like he's Are playing you, like a senior tour golfer. Furyk might beat him from the tips. Like it's getting sad out there. It just yeah. doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would he not be trying to like get in the gym and, and add some distance? Like, what are you doing, Fitzpatrick? I think we'll we'll probably all have a little bit of Fitzy in there. Some of the other mid tier guys like Sung J M Neiman. I'm guessing Jason, you like him a bit. You mentioned the putting splits maybe becomes a break even putter. Always good ball striker, and you get to the point that, like when you get cheap enough that these guys can outscore their finishing position, so they don't necessarily have to t twenty. They can finish like. 35th and that could be like 20th if they put together a streak on like the the two connected par fives and um so any interest in in those two guys and then i guess the other guy i wanted to throw out there first time playing but i think if it does play really long then cam champ would profile as a guy that is a really strong course fit at augusta even if he's gonna be like a volatile player yeah i mean neiman's one of those guys uh, i feel like we've seen him for two three years now and we just kind of forget how young he actually is like he's 21 years old he's he's already won on tour he's he gains in chunks like he has off weeks obviously but at this range you know you know you're taking on some risk anyways he's one of those guys that's hit or miss but when you get him on one of those weeks at that range he has some of the highest win equity that's just the reality at that range you have some guys like Matt Fitzpatrick is more of a you know, T5, T10 sort of guy where Neiman actually has that. He's live to do it. The The fun thing also about Neiman is is he's performed well recently in in tougher fields like the BMW, the CJ Cup, the Zozo. He's, he's gained on approach and off the tee in those events. So that's something I, I look at. You know, if we're going to profile Xander as someone who performs well in those fields because he can gain in tougher fields, like for me, Neiman's kind of the discount version of that. And uh, to touch on Sung Jay, I mean, his recent form is finally coming back to where we thought he was last year. Uh, It was kind of odd to see that, to see him completely lose it uh, at times. So he's not one of the most consistent guys right now. But the odd thing is, I don't know if he just kind of threw out his putting or or training regimen to be able to work on his ball striking. But I feel like his putting's really 
not as good as it used to be, but that's not something I usually look at anyways. You know, kind of you kind of expect them to just fall back into it at some point. So Sungjae is definitely uh, in that range. I would say, depending, uh, assuming ownership doesn't get out of control, I would expect I get I end up on a lot of Fitzy and Sungjae, but I also expect them to be pretty popular. Like if I'm just looking at the Win EV I have for Fitzy and Sungjae, I have them above most of the guys in the eights, uh, ex excluding the top end of like Hideki, uh, Tony Finau. Uh, I think I have them ranked higher. I, I think I only have Wolf above them. So I have them as like better plays than most of the AKs. So when, when you, I guess, are taking stances, are you typically doing it with regards to the player pool? Like are you excluding guys that you feel like are just overbought by the field? Or are you doing it more at like the total roster level where – you're fine playing some Sungjae if he's 15% owned, as long as you're able to control the lineup in a way that it still is like has some contrarian elements to it. Uh, I mean, the way that I approach it, it, I followed like a trading course at a point. And one thing that I really stuck on was the guy was talking about like, you can have, you know, be a many model thinker because you can, you know, you look for more of a confluence of factors that point you in the same direction so that's kind of the approach I'll take is if I'm contemplating Xing out a guy that has high ownership, I'm looking for a lot of arrows, like a lot of things that would let me get off of him. Because if you just find one thing, it's easy to just X out someone. At the same time, you don't want to just end up paying rake and not taking any stances. So I think one mistake I used to make was to get too aggressive in terms of Xing out players and then just if I if my ownership pool is so concentrated already, give myself enough outs to be able to succeed when those plays do hit. So it really depends on the slate. It depends on the cut also, because if it's like one of those, and it depends also on the, the, the weather, you know, if the variance is kicked up really high, uh, you know, you're more likely to take a contrarian stand because, you know, good players get missed the cut sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Uh, yeah. And so it sounds like if you were going to take like a big stand on someone up top, then you're fine still playing the chalk down below, but you don't want to just end up, in a situation where you're like plus or minus 5% on everybody in the field. Yeah, exactly. All James, right. Any other values you got for us here? Yeah. I mean, I, I just got it. We got to get to the part of the show where I tout Matt Kuchar who, uh, yeah, I mean, he's playing bad right now. Like his, his recent, like his recent form stuff is not good. T54, T52, T33, miscut at the, like he just has been so egregious, but I, yeah, but I can't he, shake he him, be, dude. He might, he might be the best Mexican in the field. I'll say that. <laughs> um, but Kucher, I don't think he's, like, has he gained strokes this year? Uh, Probably point? not. He's been so bad. And maybe, maybe it's just one of those things where, you know, you're waiting, what, two years of rolling data, and so a lot of his good rounds are, are still in there at the tail. And maybe in six months from now, Kucher will be, you know, he'll go down the Phil Mickelson path where you're not even considering him where he's at. But for me, he still, he still looks like a play Horschel looks like a play to me. Kokrak looks like a play to me. I mean, you know, these are these are just guys who you're. You, I don't. I don't think any of these guys can win this event. But like, I'm not going. I'm not going into this event with Brandon Todd as one of my you know key leverage spots. And you're going to have to play multiple guys down here in the seven k. So what about okay? So two guys here that I like: Cameron Smith. Can I interest you guys in some scam? Scam, scam Smith. Yeah. I mean, he, I, he does everything that I was looking at relatively well. Like, I, I don't want him to be able to blow up. I, I want him to be able to, you know, get through, get, just get through that cut. That's all I want. Uh, I feel like he's been playing really well uh, as of late. And he's one of those guys that just seems to do everything well that I want him to do at Augusta. 
I don't think I really, it's one of the guys that's on brand necessarily for me, but I also think that I might get a little bit of an ownership discount in this range where people are going to gravitate more towards Neiman and Sir. Uh, I don't know what like Kucher's ownership's been recently, but for me, he's been like a replacement level duster uh, for a really long time. And it's not anything I'm going to jump on board at this point uh, in his career. Man, I feel like there's probably not a shorter player in this range than Cam Smith. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, he, people have been on him in some of the weeks that he's done well. It hasn't been one for me. I, I do feel like from a prospect uh, potential, he has some pedigree, but um, a little overpriced for me. I guess I would prefer Todd if I was going with oh. a guy that I don't think is a great fitter at Augusta, but, um, but can get hot with the putter. Yeah. I might, uh, might have to get I'm, a bet going on Cam Smith versus Todd. Yeah, here. we'll do that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, all right, so I also think that because I want to go heavy on Bryson, I got to sell myself on some of these dudes down here. EVR looks like a guy I can sell myself on. Noted data golf favorite, Sebastian Munoz. I, I'm wondering, does anyone want to tout Francesco Molinari? Uh, or or just is he returning to the place where his soul left his body for good? Like, he, he just looks like a zombie walking around there, just out missing cuts, can't do anything. Poor poor Molinari, his... his his soul left him on hole 12 and it never returned. <laughs> I, I sorted my sheet to, uh, to filter out players with less than 0.05% of win EV. And unfortunately, Molinari is no longer on it. So, yeah. Yeah. I think I would say like Lucas Glover's guy, I feel like I'll end up punting on down here. Um, potentially Charles Howell, the third as well. Guys that like you're just hoping to make the cut stick within the the lead and, you know, those guys are at least long enough that they can string together some birdies. Um, and then Corey Connors, I think, is another guy that can outscore his finishing position, but you definitely don't expect to have an extremely strong finish. Um, and that's kind of what I'm looking for down in this range is just, like, play the weekend, be able to score from a fantasy perspective on the par fives and hope that that's good enough if the rest of your lineup kind of clicks it together. Um, only thing I would say is generally I think guys get overbought down here, and a lot of times these guys that are – pretty like terrible plays on paper still end up under owned for these large field tournaments. And so in the million maker type stuff, when you see some of these guys at like 1%, whether it's like a Matt Wallace or Eric Van and like those guys usually are under owned relative to their optimal lineup probability and um, probably make for good plays. You just have to be like, you're not taking big stances on them. They're kind of like a mix in once or twice here. Uh, if, especially if you take a big stand up above. Yeah, I'm just yeah. curious to see what the weather is going to look like closer to it because there's some shorter guys in this range that I would uh, be interested in because, like you mentioned, at this range, you're not really looking for him to necessarily, you know, finish in the top 15 spots. You're more looking for a cut maker that can score a little bit. But there's some guys that if I think it's going to play really long, uh, kind of get out of play here. So I'll be curious to see where that settles. And there's not anything that I really want to gravitate towards. Is Jason Kokrak a good putter now? That's that's one of the questions I have for you. He is sometimes. He he. Jason Kokrak is a good putter often enough for me to feel comfortable being double the field here so that I can jam more Bryson. Yeah, like the classic EMQ tweet, imagine not rostering Jason Kokrak. Yeah, imagine not rostering Jason Kokrak at the Masters when he's going mean, to. Yeah, I think he's, he's like neutral. Team. I would say he's neutral. I wouldn't say he's like great, but again, I think in the DFS circles, maybe less so, but in the public, a lot of people think that putting matters a ton at Augusta. And I just don't think that's really the case. Um, maybe it does for who, who wins, but uh, so co-crack, I definitely think is a buy. Yeah. Um, all right. 
we got we got Benny Ann. We got does anyone I does anyone want to tout any of the real dust buckets? I guess. Okay, Gl- I got Glover. I ha- I'll have to go here because I think like this is me, uh, you know, playing the tout card. So I have to be able to tout something way off the board, right, to really establish my cred. Yeah. Um, we're gonna go with uh, Lee Westwood here. Crazy grid course history. I, yeah, okay. just this is the classic Masters tout. Recent form more than passable i mean he gained uh 5.6 t to green i know even more than that jesus 7.9 t to green at the u.s open is that good he's been training with poulter so i'll tout some poulter too so uh those two uh those two guys are are in play if it's that's one of the things if it plays a bit shorter uh but the price just pisses me off like 7200 like why, why wouldn't he be in the Stenson range? Then it's more doable. But at the same time, when you think about it, a lot of these guys are going to get weeded out. So you're essentially picking like five of them to make it. Because like realistically, like Molinari is just dead. Like, do you think Bezadenhoop is going to make it? Like, there's only going to be a few that will make it. And those roster constructions are going to be pretty unique at that point because you'll end up like a lot of people will gravitate towards the same guys i don't know i don't know if i'll be able to click it i just had to tout it anyways i like it that's the the true tout tout is to tout it and then not click it all right i'll i'll go i'll go with a grosser one our our guy nelson adcock's boy justin harding he looks like the cheapest guy i would play at 6300 he is he is sunrun putting only that's the only thing he does well so if uh if he ends up grinding out a t30 or whatever it'll all be on the back of the putter i mean gun to my head i think i'd play molinari before him yeah so the last thing i guess i'll add is um obviously you guys should check out the projections over at daily roto but one of the things that does matter quite a bit for roster construction is the scoring environment and so as we start to read more reports of the course next week i think we'll get a little bit of an understanding of whether or not it's going to set up with like a low winning score high winning score and if it ends up being harder then that definitely tends to favor top heavy builds the masters already sets up decently for top heavy builds because of the um, field size and scoring environment so i think those are some things that people should be paying attention next week that we don't really have great insight until we kind of see the practice reports and what the actual final weather looks like and whatnot yeah, I think all of that seems about right. Okay, do we want to do we want to tout some futures before we before we get out of here? Um, the on, the only one that I bet while we were doing this here was Cantlay um, at twenty five to one. He looks he looks pretty solid to me. Uh, he's just been so meh in all the categories. I don't know. I haven't seen anything that leads me to believe that it's going to happen anytime soon. But you must I, uh, I, you must have just missed his putter going absolutely wild two weeks ago. Yeah, not living up to his uh, his emoji in Slack for sure. Yeah, he uh, he could putt for once. So I I think like Cam Champ like 110 to one or better I think is decent. Um, Scotty Scheffler even if Data Golf overvalues him I think you can get him 61 or better. Those are decent numbers. But like you said, not guys you necessarily expect to win, especially in a field that is as strong as this. In general, I was looking at the futures, and I feel like there's not really a benefit at this point of betting anything early versus just waiting for the odds. Next week, perhaps the only angle you can get is if someone is playing really well tee to green this week, their odds might shorten next week. So if you're kind of on the fringe with a guy and you see them um, playing well or popping on the leaderboard this week, perhaps you bet them a week early instead of waiting. But for the most part, I think at this point, you're probably just better off waiting to next week. Yeah, the thing that's frustrating sometimes is that they don't really – like you, you won't get any big drifts 
after that warm-up event. Like, it'd be nice if some guys had good performances and then you would see a, a few other guys drift away. Uh, one guy I like that's still on the board is Finau at 35-1. to 1. Uh, I have him as uh, pretty much close to 31-1 to 1 as a break-even point. And, I mean, obviously, you just got to bet Decky at 40-1 to 1 and just cash in your Sklansky bucks. Uh, I like let's it. see here. Neiman at 80-1 to 1 is another one, and uh, Sungjae at 80-1 to 1 or two that uh, I, are just easy. Easy. I uh, have to click them, in my opinion. Well, I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to. I, I, I think, I think I, if I was just looking to bet a couple guys at the top, it would be Xander and Cantlay, and I think I would leave it there. I don't think DJ or Rory looks like, you know, particularly great values or anything. Yeah. The other benefit is if you are a daily road sub, you can hop into Slack, and maybe Jason will be firing off some pinata bets for the kids this week. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We can only hope. I mean, we got to get the burned Wiesberger pinata pick, right? That's uh, that's the way to do it. Um, yeah. As long as we don't get like Trevor Immelman or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there are some that are just stone, like Insta coffins too. You just get the the creative player or Mike Weir that's like golfing with one arm. I don't know. Yeah. Do we? Uh, that was one thing I remember last year was the largest field size they've ever had. Do we know if there's anyone? who can get added this week? Like, what, what, what's the field size right now? I, I just think it's so absurd that some guys that – it's just – the policies, the old school – like, I know I'm going to sound like a hater here of hating on the Masters, but, like, why are guys like Jimmy Walker in this field and Daniel Berger sitting at home watching it on TV? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. It, there's something fundamentally that at my core as, – as much as, as Daniel Berger cost me a shit ton of money this year uh, – it's just, I find it frustrating. Yeah, I mean, nothing should change with the field pending COVID or injury withdraws. They're obviously not adding people at this point for this year. And so it should be roughly 90-person field with the cut to top 50 or anybody who's within 10 strokes of the lead. So um, if you guys want access to our projections, obviously check that stuff out over at Daily Roto. Data Golf, who is our partner, has a ton of really good free stuff over on their website as well for researching golf stats and tools. And uh this will be it for the special edition of Going for the Green. We'll be back in January again for the PGA Tour relaunch. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back soon. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital 360.